0: Welcome to this Poets at War special report on Bezalel the Artisan with Pastor Toby Sumter. Now to the trenches.
1: All right. Perfect. So, um, Bezalel, you want to just go ahead and introduce us to who this is in the Bible and what the point of his character is as far as you see it?
2: Sure. Um, yeah, so I, um, I... This is a... When you mentioned it... I. It was an easy, um, uh, uh, easy for me to agree to, because uh, I, I, am, um, I, well, I certainly don't know everything about Bezalel, but I, um, but I've um, studied some of uh, uh, some about him over the years, and um, and so it's a it's a fun thing to talk about. So, um, Bezalel is the lead um, artisan uh, in the Tabernacle project. So you find out about um, Bezalel in Exodus um, in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter thirty-one, for example. um, You have as they're um, embarking on um, God's just given the instructions for building the tabernacle. um, He uh, uh, says that he's called uh, Bezalel, um, and he's filled him with his spirit, the spirit of God, uh, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and silver and brass, the cutting of stones and how to set them in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. And he says he's also given with him a holyab, assistant, um, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded, the tabernacle, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, Furniture, the table, um, the candlestick, the altar of incense, uh, the altar of burnt offering, the cloths of service, the holy garments of Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons, as well as the anointing oil, the sweet incense, uh, etc. Um, and so um, that's, that's uh, how we're introduced to Bezalel. He's the, um, the chief lead artisan, artist. Um, obviously you think about all the things that are listed here um, that are given him to do overseeing this. It's a building project. Uh, So we've got, you know, stone, we've got um, wood. We know there's fabrics, um, there's precious metals. um, uh, There's, um, uh, you know, as they put it together, there's going to be poles. uh, There's an architectural element to it. um, Woodworking. Um, So there's a real um, uh, variety of, um, of skills, um, needed. And, um, and as we read, um, as we keep continue reading through Exodus, we find that he's got a whole team. There's a, there's a pretty significant, um, team, uh, in addition to the assistant, the Holyab. Um, there's even, a, there's a number of, we're told a number of women that are also working on, um, parts of it. They're, they're weavers of fabrics and, um, professional, uh, dye. Uh, they work with dyes and colors because there's different colors that, God assigns the different parts of the tabernacle. Um, uh, so it's it's a pretty you know uh, substantial project. It takes a lot of skill um, and understanding. And, um, and so the, the, the thing that I, um, I don't know which way you want, where you want to go with this uh, discussion, but I'll just keep going and then you can interject or inter- interrupt me. Sure. Um, uh, several things that always stand out to me about this. So uh, number one, is um uh, he they're described as having the spirit of god um and so uh, creativity is closely associated with the holy spirit mm-hmm. and um and and that actually goes all the way back to uh, the creation narrative itself in genesis 1 it's the spirit of god that's hovering over the face of the waters as god is beginning to create the universe and so if it's the holy spirit that is inspiring God and empowering God himself to construct the universe, how much more so do his image bearers need his spirit in order to work well as, uh, as you know, sub-creators, as, as uh, Tolkien uh, described us, um, as, as his image bearers, we need his Holy Spirit to work with the materials that God has put in the world um, and to make them beautiful. Uh, uh, And um, so I I really um, love the theme of the Holy Spirit um, being tied to creativity. Um, A second theme that I've always found incredibly um, uh, just intriguing, but inspiring also is um, also the notion of wisdom. Um, uh, The wisdom is given uh, an understanding and knowledge in all manner of workmanship. Um, I think sometimes wisdom kind of like creativity um, can sometimes be um, described in a way that is very esoteric and mystical. And and so, you know, if you want to be like really wise, you know, maybe you think of, you know, Buddhist monks in a cave, <laughs> um, you know, with guttering candles and, you know, and, and the sound of, you know, faint sound of dripping water you know, right. or something like that.
1: Or even in our um, modern context, some people, at least in the artistic perspective of things someone who would be considered wise quote unquote might be and and he wasn't too off but someone like bob ross you know from from pbs or something like that someone who has sort of this uh this air of oh just uh, it's almost flakiness right like just just play around and see what happens right it's this like there's there's a spontaneity in that uh idea Mm -hmm. and there's um I I feel like there has to be some kind of spontaneity but how how do you uh, you know you're you're a pastor how do you pastor that you know like the that idea comes in versus what we're seeing here is there a synthesis or is it completely one thing versus another the bible says one thing our modern day says another what what's your thought on that
2: yeah. no no well, I, I, so as, as a, I think the um so what you find though in 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 scripture is that wisdom is um It begins, though, with very, very concrete things and very, very. And so that like as opposed to abstract or mystical or random or just, you know, flinging the paint, you know, let's see what happens, whatever. Um, I think I think real wisdom starts with the concrete starts with um, the um, exodus is actually going to say that um, these artisans. I mean, um, they were not free to make whatever they wanted. Right. Actually, like, you know, of all creative tasks, they actually had a very, very narrow assignment. And this is God's house. He's very particular about how he wants his house. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so there's a, um, Hebrews says that Moses built the tabernacle on, on the basis of the blueprints that he saw from God on the mountain. Like he had very specific instructions given to him by God on the mountain. So there's a sense in which it starts with a very, very like specific Plan, a very, very specific thing. But, but I think where the, the, the freedom comes and the creativity comes is in um, it, it. Nevertheless, for all the details that are spelled out in Exodus, not every detail is there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I think what, what God does is he creates the canvas, and, and, and then the specifics that he cares about are there. But then there's, there's, I mean, if you're, if you're actually, you know, I mean, this happens all the time when you're, if you're putting together, a, you order something off of Amazon and you have to build it, you know, whatever, put it together, you get a, you know, some big toy thing for your kids at Christmas or, um, a, a shelf or whatever. Like the instructions are pretty basic, but there's, there's still, it takes some creativity to connect some of the dots. Yes. And I think yes. it's the same, I think it's the same way with artistry. Um that there are certain rules that I think are important in order to preserve beauty. And, um, and so there's a kind of wisdom and knowledge that understands, um, different mediums, um, uh, uh textures, perspective, um, the, the objective rules of art. What that does is that doesn't destroy the creativity and the freedom that actually mm-hmm. um, shows you where the freedom, the freedom will flow the best in a way that doesn't destroy the doesn't destroy the beauty does that make sense yes
1: definitely yeah um i want definitely want you to get back to the to the spot that you were at but i'll add one other question uh unless you guys wanted to jump jump in with anything and you can jump in whenever um but why is it that artists have been instructed to throw off all of these rules
2: because um, we we live in a world that uh, hates God.
1: Hmm.
2: That, that's the bottom line, and um, yep. and, I, and I think and, and the re- and so the rules remind them of God. Rules come from authorities, and and ultimately an authority. If you go up the ladder far enough, you know it's parents, teachers, the government. U- ultimately, it, it's it's God. Mm-hmm. And, and the god who made the universe the god who um, made the universe with gravity uh, the god who made the universe where certain colors go together and certain colors don't go as well together the god who made the universe such that certain sounds um, are more harmonious together than others um that's that's those are rules um from god mm-hmm. and um and so i think um i was actually reading a book Jay Gresham Machen has a classic book called uh, Christianity and liberalism. Um, He was a Presbyterian pastor in the 1920s who got kicked out of the mainline Presbyterian church. Um, And, you know, you think about this. So this is the Presbyterian church that's now flying the rainbow flags and has, you know, drag queens, you know, I don't know, doing children's church or something. (laughs) Um, uh, um, And he got kicked out in the 1920s because basically he was, he was pitching a fit about the direction a hundred years ago. Actually wrote the book Mm -hmm. in 1923, exactly a hundred years ago, um, having been defrocked by the Presbyterians um, for, uh, you know, I don't know, disturbing the peace or something. And, um, and, but he says, he has got this interesting line in the opening uh, chapter. He said, um, he says that as, um, um, as the, now that I'm saying this, I think it might be a different Machen book. But Machen says this somewhere. Um, but he—he—I've uh, been reading a bunch of Machen recently. I'm confused. Uh, but in one of his books, it, he says um, that when a culture is turning away from God, he says that one of the first places you see it is in the arts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, he's writing in the 1920s and says they're—they're they're already making art that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. In the 1920s and he says that's because we've rejected the source of all rationality um, uh, the, the, the source of things that you know the, the thing that you know everything coheres in christ everything holds together in christ he, he's the logos he's the he's the word of the father uh, by him all things were created and have their being and that means mm-hmm. then our actions of creativity are only going to make sense insofar as we're at least generally submitting the way that world has been made. Um, and, and so um, I think that's why, I think that's why, I think it's ultimately goes back to Christ. I think it goes back, um, I, you know, obviously not everyone is consciously thinking I hate God. So I'm going to, you know, um, throw paint at a wall um, or I'm going to, you know, make scratchy sounds for five minutes um, and call it music or, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's not that conscious usually, I think some of the artists absolutely knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. A lot of artists are incredibly philosophical and, and mm-hmm. artists want their art to have meaning. But frequently the meaning they want really is blasphemous. Like, yes. like I, yeah. I want, I want this to be beautiful um, without God. Um, I, I want to make something um, amazing, impressive uh, and beautiful. And have deep meaning and move people, um, and I don't need God to do it. And yeah, in or, order to or, do, it...
3: or I want to prove that this thing that is against God's law is beautiful too,
4: yeah, and it's
2: not yeah, right. exactly. So I think I think, it, I think a, a number of artists know what they're doing, and then there's also a lot of other artists that you know want to be part of the club, and and so they're mm-hmm. you know they 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 mimic and they copy and um and they want to be accepted um but i think that's mm-hmm. ultimately it goes back to our rebellion against god um, and so we, we don't want any rules we want to we want to, and fundamentally whenever um, um whenever people are throwing off god um th- uh, the underlying motivation is they see a job opening
4: mm-hmm.
2: they, yeah. they, they if there is no god i could be god I can yeah. be my own God. I can be the God of my, of my world. I can make, you know, I can make my own reality. And then what they want to do is, I mean, what does God do? Well, God is creator. And so especially those with any kind of artistic bent, they want to make um, the world in, in according to their own image, according to their own likeness, according to what they think is beautiful, what they think is, um, praiseworthy. And, um, And so they they have to throw off the constraints because they have to be consistent with that view of, um, I can make the world whatever I want it to be.
5: Right. Right.
2: Yeah. So two
5: questions uh, from that. Number one, why is it that the raw appears in the arts first? Like, why does that, why is that where it shows up first? And the second question is, in light of us knowing that there are some artists who are philosophically aware of what they are doing. Uh, My mind immediately goes to Jackson Pollock, uh, but I'm sure that there are others who know that what they are doing is blasphemous and that's why they're doing it. What responsibility does your average Christian have to be aware of that? as opposed to saying, well, I, di- I couldn't tell that Lavender Mist was blasphemous, that it was, you know, officially anti-theistic in its philosophy. What, what responsibility does a regular average Christian have to be informed on the topic of art in this way?
2: Uh, um, remind me of the first question again real quick, sorry.
5: <laughs> sorry, rambled a bit. Um, the first question is, why does uh, why does the rot of culture appear in the arts first?
0: Goodness, that was a lot of questions at once, Alex. But first, let us speak of some of our friends in the trenches. Attention all Christian writers and creative peoples. Are you searching for a place to share your work and receive encouragement from fellow wordsmiths? Look no further than The Broodcast, inspired by the legendary inklings of old, a group of writers who banded together during the Second Great War. The Broodcast is your monthly gathering for inspiration, fellowship, and critique. Join us as we share our stories and support our fellow soldiers on our creative missions. Enlist in the Broodcast community today at joshuadavidling.com brood. Travel cyberspace. Serve the greatest cause. Join the ranks of the Brood
4: today. I'm Ian Wilson, and I create graphic art using primarily traditional methods, supplementing with digital where it's needed. I use a real pen, a real paper, a real graphite to make my art. I like to feel my art. I've always been this way. I love the feeling of a pen or pencil in my hand, the sound of graphite scratching paper, and I love the sight of a nice black line making its way across the page. So why choose traditional art over digital? Traditional art has an organic, natural quality that seems to be missing from most digital illustrations. The illustrated books and comics that were made in the days before digital have an excellence and staying power that is just as vibrant now as it was decades ago. These are the stories that stay with you. Dr. Seuss, Winnie the Pooh, and Where the Wild Things Are. People still read these. I'm currently working on my own graphic novel series, Legend of the Swordbearer, and I've also had the privilege to draw graphics for two motion comic series, along with illustrations for a small magazine, Logosophia magazine, and various book covers. Don't let traditional art fade into the dust. Help me keep it alive. You won't regret it. Visit my website at ianthomaswilson.com for more info.
0: Get down! We're headed back into the war zone on Poets at War!
2: I, um, I think it's because um, artists Are the glory of culture. Um, They're they're the um, I I think it's what um, a a culture thrives when it makes beautiful uh, is is making beautiful things. Um, It's the it's the it's the crown. So um, uh, um, when God is making a new people in the wilderness, um, it's no accident that He commands them to make a beautiful house, a beautiful tent, and that the center of their camp. Um, later on, as Israel comes into the land and is established as a nation, Solomon is going to build the temple. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just before that, the generation before that, David was a songwriter uh, and a poet. Yeah. Um, and and so I think um, I think the arts um, are kind of the the fruit, the, the kind of the the highest fruit of a, of a culture um, in the Middle Ages, the high Middle Ages. We built um, cathedrals. Um, yeah. And um, and so. So I think that's where the rot starts because that's sort of, that's the, um mm-hmm. that's your litmus test of the health of your, of your, of your, uh, of your culture. It's so your first regressive um, step I think, backwards basically is what you're yeah, saying. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that, so if, if it's a tree, it's the, the arts are kind of the top of the tree, the, the outside of the tree where the, the, the fruit is. But if the, as soon as the tree is under stress, it's, it stops producing fruit and then eventually it starts wilting on those outside leaves and it works its way Mm -hmm. in. I, I think that's what happened was I think a hundred years ago, Machen saw the fruit was already starting to get twisted and weird. Um, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, uh, that's where it starts. Um, um, yeah, that's why it starts there. And then I think, um, to your second question, I would say, I think your average Christian, um, is responsible, um, to understand trends. So, so I, I wouldn't say necessarily that they need to know Jackson Pollock and a particular painting um, or that kind of thing. But I think they ought to know trends. And I think um, masters and teachers and parents, for that matter, um, uh, n- need to be demonstrating those trends. I think, you know, Francis Schaefer is probably the one in the last um, generation that did that the best and sort of most insistently i'm i'm i don't think enough people listen to him but um but i think he was trying really hard to say look guys look (laughs) uh it's it's happening here um this is not an accident the the these the way people are thinking and talking philosophically is coming out in the arts and coming out in our culture um is a really really important um I, i think um the the Christian in the pew, the the generic Christian in the pew, the the blue collar worker, this the Joe Christian needs to know, um, a Christian culture is thriving. When a culture is thriving, uh, particularly as it because it it's worshiping Christ, um, we are going to make beautiful things um, that are edifying and make sense. And when a culture begins to turn away from Christ and make up its own morality it's going to be, it's going to begin making things that are ugly and perverse and blasphemous. I think, I think people in the pew need to know that. And so when, when they see, um, the, you know, whatever, just the, the random, uh, uh, paint splashes, when they see a blank canvas, when they see, um, you know, uh, I don't know the, the blasphemous stuff they've done with crucifixes and, um, and when, and, and when they, um, and, you know, when they see, um, all these things they ought to, they ought not to think, huh, I guess I just don't understand art. No, yeah. they, they ought to know enough to know, Oh, that's what happens. Uh, when you've, um, you know, you, have been, um, lobotomized by unbelief. You, yeah. you lose your, you lose your mind. Uh, you, you, you turn away from Christ and what's left is nothing. And so that's what you paint. Um, your Mm -hmm. songs are full of nothing your art is full of nothing your buildings look ridiculous um Mm -hmm. you know it's that's that's what they should they should be able to see those trends Mm -hmm.
1: brendan do you have any questions before i ask another one i wanted to give you a shot if you have if you have something
3: i mean i have one but i'm afraid it's gonna start a fire (laughs) um (laughs) well that sounds uh, fun let me let me let me it is november (laughs) I know, Toby, that you don't, you know that I'm not attacking you, but any, but our tens and tens of listeners, I am not attacking anyone with this question. Okay, (laughs) now that I got that out of the way. The Second Commandment. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or or that is in the water under the earth. Okay, and then it says it continues on. You shall not bow down and worship them, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous squad vid- visiting iniquities on the father and children, and blah blah blah. Making of the Ark, chapter thirty-seven, verse seven. And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them and hammered them. Work with the two en- at the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. One piece of the mercy seat he made for the cherubim at its two ends, etc. Now I know that in pre- previous when God was commanding how to build the ark of the covenant, that God commanded you make these. I was just wondering if you had any because I know a lot of um not necessarily specifically reformed, but they tend to be in the more reformed camp, especially like the ca- <laughs> especially the cage stagers, <laughs> tend to say, no art in the sanctuary right. whatsoever." And I'm like, hang on a second, <laughs> because I mean, as someone who is extremely visual in nature, I get more from like stained glass windows from things crucifixes think it's going a little too far. I don't think we should necessarily, I'm not, I'm not promoting images of Christ in the sanctuary mm-hmm. in this instance. But it seems as if God himself, when ordering the building of the tabernacle and in order the building of the ark, included graven images (laughs) of of (laughs) animals. Do you have an explanation for me? Because I'm just trying to figure this out.
2: Yeah. So I I think the key thing in the second commandment is you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Okay. So so I think that's the, the initial... Uh, if, if there's an apparent tension between no making carved images and then carve, carve an image of the cherubim, right. I would say, well, th- yes, but they weren't bowing down to them or serving them. Right.
5: Okay.
2: Um, yeah. So that'd be the key thing. And then if you go on to the temple, we know that there's a lot of other images carved in the temple. Um, oh, I didn't even go there. Actually, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you know, there's uh, bulls everywhere. There's, uh, there's palm trees. There's pomegranates everywhere. God was really into pomegranates.
1: Blue pomegranates, apparently. Which, uh, <laughs> blue yeah. raspberries, um, anyone?
2: <laughs> so, um, I think, again, the key thing is shall not bow down to them or serve them. Okay, um, yeah. And so and so that would be the really, really key thing. So I would say um, any church building um, has carving in it. It, it, it's, mm-hmm. it could be the plainest of an inter-Puritan church and you still had somebody the sheetrock and you know and and put beams in the place and there's there who carved those beams some you know some sawmill carved Mm -hmm. it Mm. and you know what about those chairs that were carved into those shapes that you're sitting in and the pulpit was carved and the table was carved you know i mean the plainest plain jane presbyterian church whatever um uber uber regulative uh, has carved stuff in it. I would I would say it's fine because you're not bowing down to the table, you're not bowing down to the pulpit, you're not bowing down to the chairs. Um but so yeah. you look like and, you would ask it, another question.
3: Well no and, and the ark they were they're they're not bowing down to the cherub. We yeah, that principle applies. I mean they did say graven images. I'm not sure if they, I think they would argue that tables and chairs aren't graven images or whatever. But anyway, that was just That was just the one question that I I had, so it's like it's like because again I think yeah I think it's the worship is the key point. I know I kind of glossed over it, but I think personally, I'm like okay if you're not worshiping, I have I love the signs of the evangelists, which is something that shows up in like cathedrals in Europe all over the place. They represent Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they rep and they're a winged lion, a winged bull, an eagle, and a winged man. Uh, I got the order wrong, but whatever. Um i love those i think that's great sort of imagery just kind of hidden around the place it's not like it's anyway sorry that's art history but anyway that's
2: fine. <laughs> I, I would just add i think too like it is interesting that those carved cherubim are behind curtains that one guy goes behind one time a year
3: <laughs> yeah okay that's a point
2: but, yeah so they're not they're not front and center Focal point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of worship. Right. I mean, the, the the focal point, if anything, is you know. I mean, most people didn't even go inside the tent. Right. They saw they saw an altar with smoke mm-hmm. going up. That, you know that was sure. that was the focal point if there was anything. Um, okay. But I I agree. I, I think um, it, it seems to me that um, I, part. I think basically um, I would be a. I mean, I, I I um I would say I'm um I'm not in favor of images of Christ. Um, uh, especially in a worship setting. Um, I don't, you know, we've got, we have some, uh, children's Bibles at my house that probably have some artistic rendering in them and I haven't burned any of them. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of iconoclast, although I'm, you know, it's, it's not my favorite. Right. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, it seems to me that basically, um, what we have is, um, an area of, um, where, uh, the the principle would be one of um wisdom and edification how you how you Mm -hmm. beautify a a sanctuary and and then i would just say it seems to me that part of that wisdom though does need to be a warning about how we tend idolize beautiful things Mm -hmm. and so and so i think i think there's some there should be real dignity and glory about a sanctuary i i i'm not into these you know um You know, modern church buildings that are, you know, glorified gyms. Yeah, glorified gym. I mean, I mean, we've worshipped in gyms here in Moscow, but that's just because that's what we've got. Right. Necessity Um, is different mm -hmm. from ideal. No. But I think we should we should dignify the worship of God. It should be beautiful. Um, Unbelievers should walk in and think they really love their God, Mm. Um, and and their and their God is transcendent and 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 cares about beauty. Um, But I also think that we ought to have a kind of skepticism about our human nature. Um, You know, there's a reason why our reformed forefathers were more iconoclastic. And I think some of it was straight up right because they were doing straight up idolatry with some of Of the relics and statues and paintings. And it really did just need to get chucked. There's probably some really nice stained glass that have been preserved, um, but don't blame them for smashing it all. Because in the nature of the case, it's more important to save people's souls than the stained glass. Right. Of course. And, yeah. And, and so there can be there can be it seems to me there can be wisdom calls at points where you say, you know what, um, uh, for example, in uh, in uh, um, in the time of the kings um, with Hezekiah, when he was doing a, a, a great reformation, um, uh, the, the bronze um, serpent had been preserved. From Numbers twenty one, uh, which God had commanded Moses to make, as, as uh, how he um, healed Israel, they'd been um, bitten by um, flying fiery serpents, which is just another interesting conversation. <laughs> Don't be distracted. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, the word is seraphs. They were bitten by seraphs. Anyways, um, they, uh, then he makes a bronze seraph, and um, and. But they, but they kept it, you know, understandably. When God worked that kind of healing miracle, you're like, hey, that's let's keep that. Let's um, let's remember. So it was a memorial for many generations of God's power and healing and, and preservation. Uh, but down by the time of Hezekiah, it says they were burning incense to it, and they called it Nehushtan. Um, and so they'd turned it into an idol. And so Hezekiah had it burned uh ground down and cast into the into a river. Um, so there's a there's precedent for that. you know right. something that maybe began as good can be turned into an mm-hmm. idol and an evil and when that happens, it ought to be chucked.
3: Yep. Hmm. So I'm noticing a parallel between your earlier point where um, when you were talking about how we know um how art is the sort of beginning to show the rot of culture, right? Art goes bad. I'm sort of noticing a parallel where, um, and maybe I'm just overthinking this, but like where it's like, yes, art can, will show the rot of a culture, but also we can go too far and start mm-hmm. taking what is good and because we're sinful inherently. But anyway. Yeah. Um,
2: no, I think, yeah. That's, I think that's right. And, and I think there's an idolatry might be the connecting point there. Right. Or, and, I, and I think, and I said this earlier, it's like, so why does art start going bad? I think it's because we, we, begin serving idols rather than christ um idols of self idols of uh, pleasure idols of um whatever ideologies um and you start serving idols and when you start serving serving idols you start um misusing creation that, that, that's fundamentally what idolatry is, is rather than worshiping the creator you, you worship creation but then in so doing worshiping creation you actually twist it and distort it and break it um it's only in worshiping the creator that you can honor creation and use creation and glorify creation in the way that it's intended to be used
1: one of the things about bezalel that um stuck out to me uh the the bezalel narrative that i didn't think of until tonight um was not only was he Uh, Commission to make these things beautiful, but he had to make them in such a way that they could withstand all the sandstorms and everything else from wandering in the desert. He had to actually make it in such a way it could be cleaned and maintained. You know, like there's there's actually a lot of functional aspect to this whole thing. And I think a lot of artists uh, for, have the tendency, especially in liberal circles, to forsake the, uh, the, the, the strength and the fortitude of an object and the function of an object for its, um, for its beauty or so perceived aesthetic beauty, qualities. yeah, aesthetic qualities. That's a good way yeah. to put it. Um, if you have comments on that, great. Um, but I did have a question, uh, and that was if we are, you know, as artists and people who make things, filmmakers, you know, just the whole gamut of people who make things internet in person, otherwise, um, if we're at the outer leaves and we're the first to rot away as a culture, what should the leaves that find they're not rotting, you know, they're, they have some ability to make beautiful things, how should they be thinking about helping the rest of the tree if they're already on the outskirts, so to speak? Um, I, I, I point initially to Lewis and Tolkien and those kind of guys have been sort of, uh, you know, looking back. They've been sort of uh, stalwarts that have held the line against a lot of materialism and those sorts of things. but how how should we be thinking about that in our current day and and how should we be pushing forward?
2: Yeah um, well, I, I think the um, one of the things to to underline would be then there's something really potent about the arts um, and and creatives. Um, we we are, I think, being inundated with a whole lot of rot. Um, and, you know, I, you know obviously there's, there's pop culture and the pop culture arts um, of various sorts, but, you know, even you know, architecture um, um, to, um, I mean, even like, you know, landscape design or, you know, I mean, like you, you can kind of do the whole gamut, movie making, poetry, all the rest of it. And while there's you know, pockets of sanity here and there, um, there's just a whole lot of nonsense, and, um, and and I think that's had a massive impact on our souls. Um, the the we're we're um, on the one hand, it, it, so so I think there's a there's actually a feedback loop going on, and I think it goes in both directions. I think we have rot in our souls, and so we make crappy art. Um, but I also think that that um, that crappy art then feeds back into our souls. And we don't, um, we don't value beautiful things. I I think it it really doesn't. Um, but I think it impacts, I think it's impacting our marriages. I think it's impacting, um, our child rearing. I think it's impacting our worship. I think it's impacting, um, the work that we do. Um, I I think we're holistic creatures. And so I, I think that, um, I think that when you are, are able to be in a place where Christians are making good things, um, uh, beautiful things, edifying things, uh, both um, you know, in in uh, in everyday usage to music, to poetry, to movies, to entertainment, all those things, um, is a is the word edifying. Um, the word edify literally means to build up. Mm. It, it 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 makes uh, it it makes people um uh, stronger. Uh, it, it it actually makes people have um better lives. Um it it, um, it ministers to them. So I so I would my my plea for those who are living in this age saying, you know, golly, it, you know, it's a it's a wilderness out there. It, there's um hardly anybody doing really good stuff. And you look back and you see the you know the the little um oases maybe in the last hundred years of of, of the Lewis and the Tolkien and you know, the, the occasional, um, you know, composer who, you know, did some really good music or the m- maybe somebody who was really self-conscious in how they were doing uh, poetry or whatever and, and, and did some really good work. Um, I would say, well, um, get busy, mm-hmm. um, get, um, make good things, make beautiful things um, and don't really worry about whether anybody notices. Mm. Um it, it, and, and if it's really a gift from God, doing it unto the Lord ought to be good enough. If it's, it, 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 you know, he gives the gift and the thing he gives it for is ultima- is fundamentally to serve him. And to the extent that you, you have good things and you, 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 you put it out there, um, uh, do it to serve him, do it to please him and trust that, um, anything good he'll preserve no good thing will be lost. Um, and, um, and, and, and I would say, and then secondarily, because you do you're doing it for him, do it for the blessing of his people. Um, really try to encourage his people, bless his people. I think there are, um, uh, far too many Christians, um, want, um, want to do something kind of amazing. Um, it's not for anyone in particular. They just kind of want to be known for having done something amazing, right? Um, which is yeah, kind of, it's kind of selfish if you think about it. Um, but but I think Christians ought to be thinking about all the gifts they have as for the good of those around them. Yeah, and so, and I think the more concrete you can be, this like, and, and I think you see this sometimes in in like in some of the great. Um, Writers and poets and artists—they say, "I did this piece of art for this family. Yes. I I wrote this I wrote this yeah. story for my mm-hmm. grandkids. I you know I wrote this poem for my wife." And when you have that kind of love and service in mind, it's it's real. It's pure. It's it's self-giving. And and it, when you do that, and you, what, what you want to see is you want to see those people blessed. Right. And frequently, when you do that. It turns out a whole bunch of other people get blessed in the process.
0: Amen, Pastor Toby! Now let's take a moment and bless some more people with some shout-outs on Poets at War! This is a public service announcement for listeners and followers of Poets at War. Confess your sins and follow on Christ. Do not wait. The enemy takes every opportunity to turn you toward his side and destruction. Always remember, when it comes to your own heart and soul,
4: clean is good. Hello,
3: I'm Sarah Levesque, Editor-in-Chief of Logo Sophia Magazine. I would like to invite you to explore our Pilgrim's Journal of Life, Love and Literature, both in visual format and in podcast format. Our goal is to help bridge the gaps between different Christian denominations and traditions. Please visit our website at LogosophiaMag.com to read or listen to stories, articles, poetry and more, all for free. We look forward to journeying with you. We now return
0: you to our war meeting in the trenches on Poets at War.
2: Yeah,
1: we we have a, a conversation we've had on here back and forth several times over um, Christopher Nolan versus Steven Spielberg. Um, Nolan right. kind of has a he, well, he has kind, Nolan has a kind of this 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 uh, way about him of doing things. Come here, Hazel. Say goodnight to Pastor Toby and the rest. OK, right. say goodnight. You want to bed, right? Oh, in ten minutes. what Hazel. Are. What you need? Say hi.
5: Hello. <laughs> I need headphones.
1: <laughs> you need headphones. Well, you only have ten minutes left, so you you should probably play without sound if you can. Okay. Um, I love you. She's real he- real yeah. I, uh, quick. Uh, can Sorry, I just real quick. yeah? You go, go ahead. Go, real, go. Okay. Go. I was just gonna jump back to Steven Spielberg and Christopher Nolan, but the idea is Christopher Nolan. He, he what was the movie that he did recently with the weird sound thing? Tenet. Tenet. Uh, he basically created a movie where uh, he... he. Um, why don't you tell, tell that, Brendan? You have better he understanding. Ma- he mastered
5: George. the audio for super high-end theaters. He, so he- low-end oh. theaters didn't get good audio. Home theaters didn't get good audio. Only super high-end theaters he only mastered for the best.
1: Because this is yeah. the way you're supposed to see it, right? versus steven spielberg who you know for what for all of his faults and whatever else he's always kind of been a person who's like i'm gonna give you that schmaltz and that good feeling because that he knows that's what you're going to a movie for and it may not be the biggest highbrow kind of thing even though he's done more highbrow versus low it he that's always his thing is like quantity of of the thing that people want and need (laughs) um and and we we've, we've talked about that back and forth in my stuff, my, my epic poetry, you may or may not have seen it through your feeds lately. Cause I'm starting to gain some traction with them, but my, my epic poetry narratives are written for my children, not only for them as, as a uh, moral and you know, all the, all the high lofty stuff, moral, uh, uh, Ebenezers for them and all that other kind of stuff, but also as an intellectual property, um, Uh, specifically as an intellectual property inheritance for them for the future that they should be able to take and either build upon the stories and or sell them themselves lord willing that's that's my hope right? Um, and so I'm thinking of them not only in terms of their aesthetic beauty, but their their functionality as well. And it's not that one's more important than the other. They're both extremely important, because you can have the most functional thing in the world, but if it's ugly, who's going to want it, right? Um, same way in reverse. Yep. Brendan?
3: So uh, one quick thing, and then a question. Quick thing is, um, you mentioned Edify. I was like, what are the root words for edify? Edifice, I looked it up. Right. It's yeah, edifice, which means to instruct or improve spiritually. It's based, according to Merriam-Webster, it's based on adus, the word for temple. There you go, <laughs> straight around. Oh, so, woohoo! But um, so when you, I want to go back to what you said about how we're holistic beings. Um, because I, you're right. Of, of course. Um, I don't know. Like we, we don't bring you on here to say wrong things. You're absolutely <laughs> correct. And it's um, (laughs) (laughs) unlikely Um, uh, another conversation we were having a while back was talking about how it's not just like that feedback loop that you talked about. It's not just us with creating art and then pulling and we make bad art and then we take in bad art and which causes us to make more bad art. It's also like the, the culture as a whole, and our society as a whole can't recognize beauty I th- we think right we think there's a serious lack in beauty and people need to learn or relearn what is beautiful and we know that beauty comes through Christ and through God and all of that and so obviously the short answer is read your Bible but I guess what I'm wondering is you know when I'm raising my son right I'm like right now what we're we've been doing in a desperate attempt to get him at least used to it is we read a psalm in the at 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 night and we sing the uh, we do a short prayer and we sing the doxology and that's it cuz baby's not going to understand family worship i'm sorry <laughs> he's 7 months old hmm. but we're trying to at least instill that pattern but as he gets older right obviously we can read lewis we can read tolkien we can read those to him but um Like, as someone who is, who has been infected with the wrong of unbeautiful culture for so long, because I've been living in this, I think that I'm going to have to be learning with him how to appreciate beauty. And I'm just, like, the obvious answer is go to Psalms, right? But sometimes the Psalms are really hard to see. How is this beautiful? I don't know the Hebrew. I don't, I can't hear the rhyme. I can't listen to how it originally is so i guess i'm wondering um do you have any insights on how we can relearn beauty and you can say oh yeah read the psalms but do it like this or whatever
1: and not just relearn but but be able to teach from there
3: and be able to teach yeah that's sort of the (laughs) that's the next step but we need to start with learning
2: (laughs) So um you said uh, you mentioned hebrew and it reminded me of um something that will actually help me answer this question, but, um, in, uh, in Hebrew, um, the, um, uh, the, the verb that's there, there's a, all the power in Hebrew is in, is in the verb. So the, the he, Hebrew language is actually a very simplistic language and basically all the action is in the verbs as a very limited vocabulary, just got a bunch of verbs, okay. and, and, but, um, but the way it works is, um, they, they inflect um the verbs and the verbs then you, know, you have past and present and future you have passive and active but they also have um uh, an intensifying um, sense so for for example um sometimes in the bible it'll say um so the verb for kill is katal but if they want to say slaughter they change it slightly and it's kitel you means to slaughter. So they like really killed <laughs> um, the, the verb for, but, but what's interesting is that in um, the verb for learn is Lamad. And then, but when you put it in the intensive form, um, uh, means to teach hmm. that so, makes sense. So huh. when you're when you're learning intensively, you become a teacher. Boy, that is homeschool doctrines
1: one hundred and one right there. Especially, right? I said right? that's yes, like that's, that's like homeschool doctrine one hundred and one, like how you should be doing it these days if you're going to be homeschooling.
2: <laughs> so, so my yeah, but I, but I think so. In, go to Deuteronomy six. You're talking about raising your children. Deuteronomy six. Um, you have the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, and then right after that it says, you shall teach your children. And then, and that's where you have that famous, you know, w- when you rise up and when you lay down and when you walk by the way and you know, put these things as you know on your doorposts and, um, and so forth. But the thing that you're teaching your children fundamentally is to love. Mm-hmm. Love God above all, with all that they are. But, um, but that's, um, but the, the church fathers, Augustine in particular was one who, who said basically the problem with, uh, human beings, the problem that what the fall did was it busted all our loves. Mm-hmm. It love twisted our loves. And so our loves have been, yeah, disordered. And, and they really actually, they thought about this. And I think in a rightly as a, rightly ordered love um where you you love god at the top with all that you are and then love um the most important things and then the next most important things and then the next most important things actually creates a kind of harmony I, I, yeah. if, if you if you're familiar with um uh, uh, uh dante's divine comedy um yeah. the, the the, the end is, is, is this glorious, you know, it's, of course, it's all this, you know, epic poem of, of, of journeying from um, hell up through purgatory into heaven and, and to paradise. And, but the, the end of it is this, uh, you know, vision, this beatific vision. Um, uh, and, but the description there is of, uh, of a, of um, a, um, of a, of a song uh, of music, um, uh, that, uh, but it's love, um, that, that, um, um, moves, uh, the heavens and all the stars. Um, and, and so there's, and so there's a sense in which the medievals, I think God is exactly right, that our reordering of our loves is like tuning our loves, the song of God's love, uh, to the music of God's love. And, and so, um. I don't mean to be too um, flowery or whatever abstract, but um, be flowery, please. I, <laughs> We're fine here with that. My, <laughs> and it's and Poets at war. <laughs> my, my, but my my point though would be that to. I think you're doing exactly right with your with your son, um, and, and be thinking like. Um, I tell parents this just very practically with family worship. I always I always tell families, um, better to do a little bit and everybody love it Mm then to do you know a whole lot and everybody dread it Mm -hmm. and because what you can do when you love it it grows when when you love it whatever you love you not you know things that you love you do without anybody telling you to do Um, you just do it naturally you love it and so um but i think um so um I would say keep doing that. Um, the Psalms, um, absolutely. Um, a little bit of music I think is, uh, it, you know, I know your son's young, but it, as they're growing, um, we, our kids have all done, um, musical instruments of, of some sort. Um, my older son did piano. My daughters play violin. My son plays cello. My younger son plays cello. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is, um, I think being in a community of people who are, Care about these things is also hugely important. Um, it's um, and so I'm one of the things I'm really grateful for is when our kids were young. There's a, we actually have a singing school that our churches kind of work together to sponsor for the little kids. So when they're really little, they're actually learning um to sing and um, real music, not just silly ditties. Um, uh, but you know, they're they're childish songs, but they're actually teaching real music. And, um, yeah. and then as, as they've gotten older, we've put them in our, we have a classical Christian school here um, where um, the kids have music K to 12 they have music all the way through. Um, and obviously as it gets older, they actually are in parts, they're in choirs and, um, and my, and they love to sing and they love their musical instruments. Um, but I, I would say being part of a community that celebrates beauty um, that values it, um, that uh values um again music, singing, um, the arts I need to plug my computer in, <laughs> not a it's problem about to die. Um, go, there, we go, save. Um, uh, the um, uh, actually, uh, one other text I wanted to point out that's actually and this will tie back into your question, uh, Brendan, but um. It's connected to the Bezalel thing. is um, In 1 Corinthians 3, um, Paul um, is addressing uh, divisions in the church, um, and he says that they're being carnal. And in, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4, it says, One says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, or vineyard, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for no other foundation can no man lay, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Um the, and the connection is actually that word uh, where Paul says that he is a wise master builder, and he laid the foundation, and others built upon it. Um, That word master builder in the Greek is actually used in the Septuagint to refer to Bezalel. Yep. So Paul is actually, he's actually doing a, a, a play here with him and Apollos, and he's basically saying, I'm Bezalel, Apollo is a holy ab." just like there were two different guys that were working on the tabernacle project. Hey, so happens that you had two, you know, founding pastors or, you know, whatever Paul and right. Apollos were to the, the church in Corinth. And, right. um, and so, but I tie this back into my point though, is I think, so you're doing exactly what you should do teaching them in a culture that hates beauty. You, you start where you are. You start with um, first things, God, Christ, the gospel, his word, and and love, and and I would say and be in a community that's building together. Um, and because there's a whole bunch of stuff that obviously parents are primarily responsible for their children. Um, but we are part of a body of Christ, and that's the that's the building that Christ is building is the body of Christ is the church, and and so our families thrive when we're part of healthy, thriving churches. Um, and and where uh, the word is preached, where beautiful worship is is um, is valued, um, and where vocations are valued, um, and and um, all these things we're pulling in the same direction. Uh, I can't tell you. Um, obviously, my wife and I have done what we can to encourage the love of beauty with our kids. Um, but it has been a massive blessing to be part of a community where so many other people are pulling in the same direction, um, where there's a choir director that's inspiring them. There's a violin teacher that's inspiring them. There's a football coach that's inspiring them. There's a lacrosse coach that's inspiring them. There's a, you know, all these different people speaking into their lives, encouraging them um, towards excellence and loving excellence. That's the path toward beauty. Definitely. Whatever, whatever they tend to end up doing vocationally, whatever their personality or preference is, a love and appreciation of excellence is going to drive them down that path.
1: Good stuff. And that can go back to artists working with each other. That can go back to, you know, all this other kind of stuff, not just the, the father son kind of relationship and all of it, you know, and like he was saying, start with the lower, move your way out um that's the basic basic principle scripture gives us there i'll I'll go ahead and mention this uh if you see the brood you know you just joined the brood to be part of this podcast that was a name given by michael bush uh years ago um but it was specifically the brood the brood of writers he said good morning you brood of writers (laughs) as kind of a play on words and uh (laughs) then we started including people who weren't writers so it just became the brood um But, uh, yeah, the brood has been that in a lot of ways. I think we're actually pointing each other constantly. That's beautiful. That's not. Um, we all had a big, uh, I mean, we weren't, we had one person who was individually hit because they knew the people, uh, who were involved in the Nashville shooting. Uh, but the rest of us were just completely, um, angry and sad all at the same like huge amounts of of anger and everything else and i told everybody i said never let your get get just because we're artists we don't have to swallow the lie that we need to act like this never ever ever let any of your sadness and depression get you to a point where you're like this always come to us because we will be there lord willing for you as best as we possibly can you know it was my plea to them um so anyway we're past eight o'clock and you need to get going so i'll go ahead and do a sign off and if we have kind of an after poets at war i'll let it record for just the three of us but uh any which way everybody be your family's bard do not turn to the right or to the left and the lord will be with you wherever you go we'll see you next time in the trenches on poets at war thank you so
2: much pastor toby
3: thank you thank you so much Pastor. thank you so much
2: absolutely thanks for the invite always good to you guys and and keep up the good work thank you so much we'll talk to you
1: soon all right we'll do all right cheers guys all righty now we don't have to stay on and talk but i figured i'd ask what do you guys you have anything you want to follow up with will anyway yeah well i'm recording if we if it's anything we want to keep on here but um yeah is there is there anything extra you guys want to add or talk about from that conversation
3: there was stuff that, as I was listening to it, I'm like, I need to remember to talk about this because that's so good. But <laughs> that last, that last piece, like, I know last time you said, "Oh, we're doing it now here," and I'm like, but something wasn't ins- like, like when when I asked, "Okay, so how do we teach beauty?" and you said, "Well, we're doing it here. You need mm-hmm. to teach your audience." Right. You were right, mm-hmm. but there, <laughs> was <you>. <laughs> yeah, there was something missing. Yeah, bro. There was something missing, and I was like, mm-hmm. that's not. What is, what's, and, and, and the, Mm -hmm. I, the point of love, I think. Yes. Not to be so melodramatic. No. Or too Mm -hmm. storybook or too fairy tale. Look, it's a cliche for
1: a reason. It's a cliche for a reason. Love conquers all. It's, it's, it's for real. That's that's Jesus's love conquering all. And then through the Holy Spirit, it goes through us and out into the world. That's a real thing. That's real power. Yeah. You know?
3: And, and, and now I, I want every time we get someone on i'm going to want to ask them that question just to see what how they respond that's because a good I question that's a
5: great idea just have yes. that one question
3: that's the constant the throughout end. everything oh. yeah <laughs> all right last question how do we teach beauty uh but yeah. but no that his his point on love and what do you love is really important and i really think we should emphasize that mm. somehow
5: I and rightly ordered loves yes. yes like that's that's the key Right there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly.
5: How... I I liked the point that you brought up about community, and how because of the argument is... we were in the root. because of the argument we were in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, community is my soapbox. Basically, all of my other smaller soapboxes are just steps up to community. Is absolutely vital, and we have to figure this out, people. Mm-hmm. Um, but. He, he put it in such a good way as far as raising kids go, having people in their life who will be pushing it, having everybody else in their life, pushing them towards the right direction is so, so helpful. It's not that it can't be accomplished without it, but it's so helpful to have everything be reinforcing the proper direction.
0: For more conversations with artists in the trenches of this war of poets, visit
4: joshuadavidling.com.